The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Elon Musk has made an offer to buy Twitter, trying to buy it at $54.20 uh, a share, bringing it to around $43 billion in total value. That would be quite a premium over what it's trading at today, although much less than what it was just a few months ago. We are going to do a emergency in emergency podcast for you this afternoon. And our guest today is none other than Ron John Roy. He is the author of Margins on Substack. Go follow him there. Ron John, welcome to the show. What a day. <laughs> what a week. What a day. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to get into all the financial stuff as we go on in the show. But I just want you to address the, the, well, why don't you, first of all, tell us exactly what's happening with Elon trying to buy Twitter. And, you know, there's been so many people saying that, like, this is actually a great thing for Twitter. It fundamentally would give it a you know a kick in the butt that it needs to innovate um, and actually address the speech issues that it has, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't you start by taking us through what happened and whether you believe some of the arguments in favor of Musk being in there and shaking things up? All right. So today, Elon, we woke up. The news was that he was t- making a hostile takeover attempt. Um, and willing to buy Twitter at $54.20 a share, as you said, at a premium over it, where it was trading around 46 And remember, it was down around 32 before a few weeks ago when we all found out Elon was buying up shares of Twitter. So, so clearly, the stock has jumped up a good amount on all this kind of news. Is it good for Twitter if Elon Musk were to take over? It, I'm going to be honest. It's hard for me to even answer that question because I think the reality of is he actually seriously going to take over Twitter? Is that even a possibility? What could that even look like? I think there's so many questions that aren't properly asked or addressed that it's hard to even start getting into the hypotheticals around what would an Elon Musk Twitter look like? Because remember, I mean, think about the last few weeks, Parag trying to play friendly. I mean, what it must be like to be a Twitter employee right now just the mm-hmm. complete uncertainty and unpredictability around it. I, I can't imagine. I can't even fathom what it it would look like to run smoothly. That we would ever get our edit button or whatever up on the right. product side. Look, we're going to get into all those hypotheticals, but just just try, okay? Because um, the the question that I'm getting, a lot of the feedback that I'm getting today, and some of these posts are, and anyone who's tweeted about this or shared anything on social media has gotten this feedback, and that is that you know Twitter has. Uh, has been um, restricting speech, and it's about time someone came in with libertarian views and allowed anyone to say anything that's legal on the platform. And this is a you know a, a big improvement for Twitter, a big improvement for the world. Let's just put our heads on, our hypothetical hats on. We're gonna you know pick it apart over time over the course of this conversation. But like, let's put our hypothetical hats on and say, well, okay, Elon Musk is running Twitter. Is is that better for Twitter? Is it better for the world? Um, all right, all right. In, I'll, in I'll, I'll bite. I'll bite. I'll Good. bite. Um, I actually think 
the last six to 12 months, Twitter, the company, has completely turned itself around from a product standpoint. I mean, you know, there's the famous Zuckerberg, Twitter's a, Twitter's a clown car uh, crashing into a gold mine line. Um, you know, it, it's it, for so long, it was just succeeding in spite of itself. But from a product standpoint, the last six to 12 months, Spaces is amazing. Um, I think Twitter Blue, I, I, maybe I'm one of the only people out there, but I think it's actually worth the $3 a month. And I was very excited to see, you know, once they establish that subscriber base, what additional features could they add? I really think it feels like for the first time in the last decade, Twitter, the company, Twitter, the product is moving like a proper tech company is moving at the pace that the Facebooks of the world had for years. So, so I think that from a pure product standpoint, I th- this is going to stall out all that progress already. I can imagine whatever progress has been made is go- is going to completely halt. It's going to be incredibly difficult. And from a free speech standpoint, I d- what. What possible good can come out of, let's say Trump's allowed back on, let's say all the trolls are reinstated. Is that better for the product? Is that better for the company? Is that better for engagement? I mean, it's a, it's like the vague notion of, uh, is it like, will this be better for society? It's, it's almost impossible to understand because I, or I do not think it would be better for the platform and the product there you go. if the trolls are unleashed and, uh, everyone is allowed back on the platform and the Muskian uh, view of free speech, which I do not think is free speech, uh, was kind of took over the platform. Okay. The, the, the counter argument that people would make to that is like, Oh, here's like, you know, um, you know, someone who believes in censorship on the platform and actually we can't live in a just world and a world where people, um, you know, see each other eye to eye. If so many people are banned for views that people who run the platform don't agree with. Yeah, but Elon Musk does believe in censorship. Elon Musk goes to China and does an incredible amount of business there mm-hmm. and then tweets about how China has, from an economic prosperity standpoint, has done incredible work while sitting here in the US and being able to tweet memes about Joe Biden sleeping and going after the political leaders domestically, being very, very conscious and cautious of how he speaks about other authoritarian regimes. So he's not, so the idea that if he is running, Twitter, it becomes a bastion of free speech, I do not think is the case. I think it would be, again, this very specific version of free speech that actually is not free speech at all. So so I do think that, I mean, it would be just a different type of censorship. Again, like not being feeling comfortable to speak because if you say something and an army of online trolls will harass you is a type of free speech suppression. I would argue that Elon Musk is okay with that and his vision of the platform would allow for that. And I would view that as free speech suppression in its own form of censorship. So, so I think it's just competing views of what is free speech. Right. And some people would say, you know, okay, well, you know, just take the beating. If you stand by your views, then take the beating from the trolls. Okay. One last question. I I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how to think about it. One last question for you about this and then we'll move on to the financial stuff. Accountability. I've made a point a couple of times that you are more accountable if you're a public company than if you're privately held. People have said that Twitter has not been accountable at all, that their decision-making is still concentrated in the hands of a few people and that um, there would be no difference between uh, having it be public and having it be private under Elon Musk. What do you think? I, this, is a, this is a really interesting question that I've grappled with because, again, 
if there were founder super voting shares, which is something typically with tech companies, I think is not a good from a corporate governance standpoint, they would be better protected against an oligarch slash Elon Musk or whatever, you know, rich person taking over the platform. Mm -hmm. So, so this is a really interesting question from that standpoint from, I don't think the public versus private uh, market accountability question necessarily makes sense because again, it's not like it's still a constant BlackRock Vanguard. I mean, the three big, uh, you know, like index funds hold 28% of Twitter. It's not like Twitter is actually owned by millions of individual shareholders who are going to speak together in a common voice when it's a public company. So, so I, I think if it went private, if it went public, I don't think it's going to make a huge dent in terms of whether it finds itself accountable or not. Yeah. And I'll argue, make the argument that it will be more accountable. Elliott Management, the activist investor in 2020, bought just 4% of Twitter and was able to spark all those product changes that you mentioned at the top. So I, I do think that it's definitely more accountable as, as a public company than a private company. Although with speech, it's difficult. It's not it's very difficult for investors to get involved in speech. Sometimes you got to own it if you want to help set the policies. So, you know, that's one thing to consider. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the funding because this is one thing that you and I have, have um, been back and forth about. And I think is important to bring out here that Elon Musk uh, has made this offer to sell to buy Twitter. But um, again, it's kind of why you didn't want to address the question in the first place is because where's the money? So can you talk a little bit about what the mechanism of this sale would look like and whether you think you can pull it off? Yeah. I, and th- okay, this is the biggest question. Does he have the funding? Because remember, is the funding secured is the question that's plagued Elon Musk since 2018 and the famous 420 funding secured tweet and then subsequent SEC investigation. Pulling together the $42 billion, remember, Elon Musk does not have liquid $42 billion. Bloomberg actually had a really good piece. I think he has around $3 billion in cash right now. So he would have to find some other way. Obviously, borrowing against his Tesla shares is one route, but to find a bank or a, you know, a consortium of banks that will lend 40 odd billion dollars against an incredibly highly volatile stock that's already up 1700% and was, you know, 800% lower just a year and a half ago. I think, I mean, banks typically can do anything, but I mean, I still feel you'd be hard pressed to find institutions that would lend to him. So then, are there other private equity firms? Some people are saying Elliott could be, be you know, part of this, Silver Lake. There was some talk. I, would a private equity firm, again, when Elon Musk is openly saying that the actual financial value he doesn't care about, you know, like, and the way he would run it, if free speech becomes this central selling point and mission of his, and that necessarily counteracts against the potential financial value of the company, I mean, if you're a private equity company, is that a risk you want to take? So, so again, remember, the SEC filing said funding is... It, it, this the takeover is contingent on anticipated funding so th- there's no clear indication that there is funding how he would get that funding again he cannot just cuz he's worth 200 to 300 odd billion dollars he cannot actually spend 42 billion dollars of his own money on the the company so I, I think color me highly skeptical that there is funding secured already right and i mean obviously it's not because if that's what's was said in the in the in the financing. The, so 
in yeah. the document. Maybe he has it on the way, but it doesn't seem like like it is. I mean, he even at, in, in te- at the TED conference mentioned that he doesn't have the money yet. So, uh, shrug. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the, the TED talk, obviously, I mean, yeah. today was uh, th- to have the TED talk just show up and, you know, <laughs> you know believe so- that. Yeah. somehow we had all forgotten or not right. known. And then, of course, I mean, again, he is a master of communications and public relations. Like, yeah. was the takeover bid planned alongside the TED talk? Probably. I mean, I have to think so. It can't just be coincidence. Yeah. And we're going to get into what exactly is Elon doing here in the second half, but I have a couple more tactical questions to ask you. The first is, do you think the board rejects his offer? Yes, I do. Again, it's not a great offer. Um, Even the premium, the most telling thing I have never seen the stock, I'm not sure if it closed down, but it was trading flat to down after the morning pop. It did close down, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you have a takeover offer that's at a decent premium, you never see a stock trade down. So I think the the market has kind of spoken as well, whether they think this actually could be a real thing. And, and again, the board as it is, it's, it's not a great deal. It's, you know, it's not, if it was, I mean, it's 75, 70, somewhere around there. And it was at a significant premium above where Twitter was trading in the past year. I think maybe it would have to be taken more seriously, but Again, in obviously there is the the tactical concern around if Elon sells his nine point two percent stake, are we gonna is it gonna push us right back down to the thirty-two level where it was before all this started? So so I, I mean it's obviously it's not a great time to be a Twitter board member, but but I do think they they will reject this. Down one point six eight percent today. That's how Twitter closed, yeah, which is crazy. Amazing, it's crazy. That Elon Musk is making yeah. a Takeover offer. Okay, you hinted at it. Let's talk about what happens if Elon sells his shares. What yeah, goes down on Twitter? I, I think this is the most likely scenario. And again, this entire, I mean, in many ways, he started buying in the 20s and into the 30s. And then he announced late that he had bought the shares and the shares jumped to 45. And now he's saying he'll take it private at 54. I mean, he can start selling his shares and he will have made a lot of money, like actual, you know, liquid profit, and it'll definitely hit the shares. It'll definitely push them, I think, back to where they started before all of this. And again, this is honestly one of the most troubling or sad parts of this is Twitter, the company seemed to be getting their stuff together. And and now their stock is just going on this insane meme stock roller coaster and it, you know it's everything is completely out of their control and trying to just evaluate the business as a normal business is impossible so let's talk about that parallel uh with meme stocks before we go to break so i think you mentioned that when gamestop when was uh soaring you said oh i feel bad for the poor cfo who's going to be trying to catch a falling falling knife and sure enough that's what happened and he ended up leaving the company uh, if i recall correctly maybe you can you know refresh my memory on that is that going to happen? Like, what's going to happen to the executives at Twitter? And and are they going to experience some of this meme stock whiplash? That yeah, yeah, Games, yeah. So, GameStop did. Yeah, exactly. So the CEO and CFO of GameStop left after the whole up and down cycle of the stock. Um, they left with very very healthy golden parachutes. So I'm not I not shedding a tear for either of them. But 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 again, if you when your stock jumps off of the back of I don't want to say nonsense, but you know, some kind of like again, memes and uh, viral tweets. 
clearly there's going to be some whiplash in the other direction in trying to, again, think about anyone who's run even a small business. Now imagine running a giant multi-billion dollar business, trying to make financial decisions and projections, thinking about if you're the Twitter CFO, you know, you just invested in spaces. I know Twitter is starting to launch a lot around shopping. Are you going to invest in shopping? How much will you invest in shopping? Try making those decisions when you have no idea what your actual company will be worth in the next one hour or two days or one week. I mean, that volatility, it's not, it's not intrinsically a good thing, even though your stock is going up. Ron John Roy is with us. He writes margins on Substack with John Duruk. You can find it at readmargins.com. Okay, we've talked a lot about the the what Elon's you know actions might lead to. We're going to talk a little bit more about his motivations on the other side of this break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Ron John Roy. He writes Margins on Substack, one of my favorite newsletters. Got to go check it out. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what, you know, what Elon's up to. Because, you know, we talked a little bit about how he doesn't have the money, um, as, at least not as of yet, according to his SEC filing. So what I'd really like to know is why he's doing this. I mean, the man must know that it's a long shot bid. So why even go through the process in the first place? All right. That, that trying to trying to decipher why with Elon Musk is obviously uh, I know you a can bit do of it. an uphill battle. You can but, do it, Ron John. I know you yeah, can do it. <laughs> I, well, okay. So so I've had a bit of a theory. Um Elon Musk, in conjunction with when he started buying shares of Twitter at January 31st, I believe, basically end of January, Musk, and, and I had written and spoken about this before any of the Twitter news came out, um, Musk was escalating his own battle with the SEC. Now, there's a 2018 settlement where after his funding secured 420 tweet, where Musk would have a Twitter babysitter, all his tweets that were about material information relevant to Tesla would have to be overseen by some vetting process. He didn't like that. Um, he openly said he didn't like that. Even in the TED Talk today, he was talking he, he about hasn't, this. And he hasn't shown any third party any of his tweets so far from his public statements, at least from my understanding. Yeah, no, they, yeah. again, the most ridiculous part of this, so, yeah, there's, they just say whether or not the tweets went through the process. There's no transparency as to who the legal oversight is, what it looks like. It's the most ridiculous thing. And that's actually part of the interesting thing about how he chose to escalate because the SEC was completely hands off. Yet, February 7th, they uh, sent a letter to a judge saying this is chilling his freedom of expression. And then in early March, they actually they filed a legal motion 
to have a judge throw out the original settlement, saying that he was coerced into it. Again, which he was talking about today in the TED Talk, saying the SEC had a gun to, it was like having a gun to a child's head. Um, so, so he very much escalated this in February and March while he was concurrently buying Twitter shares. And, and, and again, it's not like he, the SEC and legal filings, these aren't jokes. They're 20 to 30 page legal documents that are written out. It's not just a tweet going out. So he was taking a very, very methodical, concerted approach in escalating his fight with the SEC in tandem with buying the Twitter shares. I, I can't imagine that they're completely disconnected. And I do think that Elon Musk looks at both things around his freedom of expression. He viewed the SEC was, you know, like uh, muzzling his ability to tweet and his exercise free speech. So he looks at all this together. So I think that so much of this has had to do with his ability to tweet freely about his company. He, I think he, he believes that this through this entire process, he's going to steamroll the SEC and get rid of the original thing and a uh, settlement and be able to tweet whatever he wants about and whenever he wants. I, that's where I think, I think that's underlying a lot of this. Yeah. I see the argument. Hey, listen, I own the platform. You're going to tell me not to use my own product. Is that kind of yeah, what the yeah, argument no, who, who, I mean, think about, imagine you're the, uh, someone sitting at the SEC, Elon Musk tweets something just egregious about like Tesla's production numbers or Tesla's reopening the Chinese factory in Shanghai or whatever, you know, like something incredibly material. And then you have to go to the Twitter safety team and ask them to take it down. I mean, and Musk is, imagine he's the 100% owner of Twitter. Who's going to do that? Like, I mean, he basically, uh, to me, Elon Musk's Twitter account is his single most valuable asset and he has to protect it at all costs. None of the, Tesla does not work economically without Elon Musk's Twitter account. So So I do think that a big part of this is kind of maintaining uh, the pr- protection of his Twitter account so no one else can touch it, limit it, tell him what to do. I guess like one of the things I, uh, I'll bring up is, you know, some people might be saying to themselves, hey, listen, Elon Musk is the best business person in the world right now. He successfully built a company that sends spaceships up to space and lands them. He's popularized electric vehicles in the US with a very successful company. Um, shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that he is going to bring his efforts to Twitter? And in fact, I was watching the, um, you know, the TED conference today and Elon did have some well thought out ideas for how to change the Twitter product, for instance, allowing you to edit tweets. But once you do it, you lose all retweets and and faves, you know, basically starting over. So you don't propel misinformation. You don't have to be, send someone to the moon to figure out that uh, uh, retweeting, um, if you edit a tweet, you lose all the retweets. Nope, disagree. That is rocket scientist. <laughs> that level. is rocket Shit. science. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but but talk about again the fact that Elon is, um, you know, is, yeah. is the best business person of our generation, according to many, and and this should be why it, it should be universally celebrated. If you think about it through that lens, what's your thought? No, I, I agree. I mean, this this is what makes every single conversation about Elon Musk complicated is he mm. did popularize electric cars at a time when no one else was pushing it. He moved the entire industry forward. As you said, what SpaceX does is incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do agree that in terms of like, he has done impossible things. However, Twitter specifically, and the ideas that he supposedly is trying to bring to the platform, 
I don't think are setting the company up for any kind of success. It's it's a different company. Their challenges are different. Again, because very specifically, this is not solving insurmountable engineering challenges or landing a rocket on a tiny platform. It's doing actual product work and rolling out shopping products and making your advertisements better and really, really standard nuts and bolts thing that nuts and bolts, things that actually you don't need a visionary for. You need a Tim Cook style operational person, I think. Interesting. Okay. One last question on the SEC stuff before we come in for a landing here. The SEC, you know, theory makes a lot of sense if Elon was actually going to buy the company, but again, doesn't have the money. So how, how do you square those two things? Yeah, I, that, that's a good question. I think that by making all these gambits of making his connection to Twitter so in the public sphere, if tomorrow, and, and actually like in early March, I had thrown out the idea that the, that the SEC might actually deplatform Elon Musk as mm-hmm. a reaction, which again, it sounds kind of crazy in some ways, but then it doesn't sound crazy when <laughs> if, if someone, think about it, before before he offered to buy Twitter and all this comes up. If I'm to tell you that someone repeatedly used the Twitter platform to break securities laws, the idea that maybe they lose the ca- access to their Twitter account doesn't seem so crazy. Um, but now you throw in Elon Musk has just so closely tied himself to the platform instead of just a power user that breaks security laws on the platform. He now is part owner, potentially the full owner. He's just inextricably linked to it. So, so I do think now the idea that the SEC could ever limit his tweeting, deplatform him, let's, he can say whatever he wants and no one can stop it now from the SEC side. Or if they do, it's going to be a much, much, much bigger deal. Absolutely. Okay. That, that does make a lot of sense. Last topic here uh, is I was in a, a Twitter space today. Alex Heath from The Verge mentioned that, you know, this all might be Jack's ploy to get back at Elliott Management. Um, you know, he, they, they wanted him out of the CEO role. He's, not, he's now left. There's massive expectations against Twitter. He's friendly with Elon Musk. He celebrated Elon Musk. And so therefore, maybe this is his you know, revenge on, you know, getting, you know, potentially pushed out from the, his baby, his platform. What'd you read on that? I, I like that theory. I like, I mean, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Okay. Hold on. So it's not impossible. So, not impossible. Yeah. Well, Elon as a chaos agent, uh, I was, I, I think is a place, not the most unreasonable theory, as you said, un, uh, clearly Jack Dorsey is not happy with Elliott management and, you know, being pushed out of his company. Um, so yeah, no, no, I, I don't think that's a completely unreasonable theory. Honestly, I mean, this is another, another kind of angle on this, especially around the free speech absolutism. I mean, what would you, what do you think is one of the most important news stories other than the Twitter saga that's come out about Elon Musk in the last few weeks? I don't know. You tell me. All right. Obviously, this is a, that's a leading question. Yeah. Um, so, so the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal reported March twenty second. Um, there's a congressional inquiry read by led by a Republican about SpaceX and its ties to China. Oh. Um, because because there's national security implications that SpaceX has government contracts, has sensitive national security information, and Elon Musk is very cozy in doing business with China. And basically, it's just an inquiry again led by a Republican from Utah around this. This topic of his relationship with China, I think, is incredibly important. And, and again, it's another avenue that's escalating. Mm. Um, and especially around the question of free speech absolutism, 
he is not a free speech absolutist. Just because he says he is, everyone publishes, Elon Musk believes in free speech, believes in free speech. No, he doesn't. Every way he speaks about the Chinese government, celebrates them doing business in China, he's very, very smart and cautious about how he communicates. So clearly, he is not an absolutist in any way in that regard. So, so I, I do think like, what are other, what value do other, whether it's countries, whether it's Jack Dorsey, it's like kind of unleashing Elon as this chaos agent into Twitter, the platform, into kind of the American business sphere, I think is an important question because it does, it makes our entire capital market system look ridiculous. It does right look now, ridiculous. Right now. <laughs> like, we, I mean, every time you're on, we talk about how insane it is. Yeah, yeah, no, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> uh, every time I feel we end the podcast with, it, can, can it get stupider? <laughs> here and we are. It, and here we are. Here we are. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, this is where John, who's from Turkey, we've talked a lot about the emerging mar- marketification of the United States, that a lot of the kind of like uh, rule of law, these really ingrained standard things that make the U.S. an incredible place have been degrading over the last few years. And to me, again, the world's richest man is trying to buy a platform that our government regulators trying to limit him on. You That should not happen. That just absolutely should not happen in the U.S. And in terms of our capital markets and what it says about who is in charge and what ability uh, people have to actually regulate things and have stable financial markets... It's insane. Yeah. So, so I, I, to me, that's like this entire space around what is it making us look like from a capital markets perspective? What's it making Twitter, the company, look like? It, it all feels like it's just making everything a joke right now. Yeah. And, and speaking of the way that Elon will uphold speech, I mean, I sh- shared this on Twitter earlier, but I wrote the, um, the certainty that some people have that Elon will follow through on their vision for content moderation on Twitter is freaking amazing. Like he does talk a big game, but once he's in the driver's seat, you know, we see what it goes. And like the fact that people are hundred percent certain he's going to moderate it exactly as they want to me is. Well, that's why Elon Musk is so good at social media because he is a kind of like a blank canvas upon which everyone can project their own personal biases and wants. And that's the, that's the best person at social media. So that's how, that's how it works. And, and again, every analysis on this Twitter, I'll admit I'm, I'm even, my whole thing, if you've been reading margins, is about the need to better regulate financial markets and bring some sanity to them. And so clearly, I'm projecting that onto him and his battle with the SEC and this entire saga. If it, if your thing is content moderation, bringing back the Babylon Bee or Trump, you can do it as well. You know, that, that's why he's so good. Do you think Twitter management has handled this well? I mean, they look like kind of foolish for welcoming Elon with open arms and then like, have they read his account before? And now yeah, that, like the, I the mean, employee I, base, I mean, I'll tell you, I've been speaking with them and it's a disaster. I, th- I think the mistake here is acti- uh, the assumption of good faith, which again, as you said, if you've read his account, if you followed him, it's a crazy assumption, but, but I, were they acting in the assumption of good faith that he really was meaning what he was saying, that he really was going to be like a friendly 9.2%, never above 15% shareholder. If they actually were, I think it was a very bad play and bad move on their part. But on the other side, if they really just have no other options, I mean, that's that's also possible. It is It is interesting because 
right now you see that they're vulnerable with a new CEO who is not a big personality or not heavily, you know, there, there's no prominent board member. Brett Taylor of Salesforce, I believe is the chairman, like has not said anything publicly either. I, you know, that they, they're, there's no singular leader who's able to kind of speak up about this. And I, I do think that puts them in a very weak position. Exactly. Yeah. And there's definitely been like some points uh, that I saw Twitter employees today tweeting that like, you know, messaging to just stay the course is the wrong idea. You got to actually talk about this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're sitting there as an employee, I'm, you need to hear something about your, the future of your job and company, I would think. Absolutely. Okay. Prediction for, for, uh, for where it goes from here. I think like so much other uh, drama that comes out of Elon Musk, I honestly think this kind of fades away. I think there's a good month of discourse over who can take over Twitter. I think maybe what could be interesting is some other like a Salesforce or a Disney or some other companies that have in the past been rumored to be buyers of Twitter come into the fold. And then I think in a month from now, we all move on to the next thing and forget this ever happened. Like so much of so much else of what happens and the, the discourse on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's the best bet. Ranjan Roy, thank you for so much for joining. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. You can find Ranjan, Ranjan X Roy, R-A-N-J-A-N-X-R-O-Y on Twitter or readmargins.com. And um, again, what a great conversation last minute, but glad we did it. We will be back. Promised you Charles Duhigg. He's coming on next Wednesday. We're going to talk about SPACs and other crazy market situation that has gone up and then gone down. So I hope you subscribe to the podcast if it's your first time or join us again on Wednesday. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, appreciate you being here. Thanks, Nate Guatney, for doing the editing of this emergency show. Appreciate that. Thank you, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. And once again, thanks to all of you listeners. Appreciate you being here with us week after week and looking forward to seeing you in just a couple of days.